Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. We're in a series, if you have been here the last couple of weeks, which has been called Living in the Spirit. And particularly over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the giftings that God gives to us in His church to carry out His work in this earth. And uh, you may have to think back a little bit, but uh, maybe in school or in university, you were involved in something called a group project. Anyone remember the group project? Group projects were fun for some, and for others they were stressful, and for others they were a breeze. Because when you think of a group project, you would know, I know some of the guys here are in university right now, and you probably have some of this stuff happen. Uh, when you get a group project, there, is te- there tends to be uh, different personalities in the group that come to the, the front, right? So there will tend to be, in every group project, there is the super organized person who writes all the messages on the the WhatsApp group and tells everyone when they're meeting and what what, what times they're meeting and what they need to bring and what they need to have done by that time, yeah? And then there's the person that comes for the first meeting and then they just don't come back until the end of the project and they're kind of like, well, what happened? No one told me what was happening and the organized person's like, oh, you didn't look at the, the WhatsApp group? You know what I'm saying? And then there's the person that doesn't say anything but sees all the messages. So they're kind of in the group, in the loop, but they're not actually contributing. And then there's a person who gets the grade and doesn't do the work. Yeah? Anyone want to admit to being that person? Come on. That's me. Oh, I see some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but in the group project, there's all these different, you know, unique personalities and different uh, gifts that come through. There's the creative person that, that tends to stand up and they're like, well, I don't have a lot to, to contribute to the discussion, but I'll do the slides. I'll make them look really, really nice or I'll make it r- real pretty. And, and it, it's a funny thing because I think it's, you know, teachers' ways of punishing in some ways, students and bringing them to... I'm going to talk to some teachers after this just to te- check that theory. But uh, just, just to put them together and say, hey, you guys are going to work together. And uh, they sit back and laugh and watch how it all works. Well, I want to welcome you to the greatest group project that has ever taken place, the church. This is God's wisdom to bring together the most diverse group of people and bring them together and call them family. And then to call them to work together for his purposes and for his plans to be outworked. He brings us all with all of our diverse and unique backgrounds, all of our, our, our theological beliefs, all of our um, you know, religious understandings and, and our traditions and the places that we've been from. And he brings us all together and he says, this is my church. And now I'm going to work through my church in this earth. And just to make it more interesting, he he actually gives gifts to the church that are often unique and diverse, spread through his people. And he says, now you guys are going to work out together what it means to walk together in the spirit. So welcome to this massive group project. Please don't rock up today and not come back for another six months to see where we're at. 
you have a part to play. If you have been called by Jesus, if you call him Lord, if his spirit is in you, then you are part of this project. Now, your role might look different to mine, and mine might look different to yours, but that doesn't mean that anyone's is more important, or there's no kind of grading symbol in that. But each of us, God wants to use to reach people, to minister to people, to minister to his body. Now, over the last few weeks, we've looked at uh, what's been called and grouped the motivational gifts from Romans chapter 12, which is looking at uh, those, those different gifts of teaching, serving, uh, mercy, all of those kind of gifts. And then last week, we looked at the ministry or the ascension gifts from Ephesians 4, and that talks about the, the, you know, the pastor, the teacher, the prophet, who remembers the evangelist and the apostle. Well done. You guys get the, gro- the good grades for this group project. And then this morning, we're actually going to be looking at another group of uh, gifts that we see in the scriptures called, often referred to as the manifestation gifts or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, we see these mostly dealt with in 1 Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, the first one, and uh, through, particularly through chapters 12, 13, and 14. If there was a grouping of giftings that has the potential to cause uh, confusion or perhaps division within the church body, this would be the group in particular that, that would uh, possibly do that. It has been, there are different kind of groupings throughout the church body who have different and various understandings of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are two particular camps when it comes to the manifestation gifts, and they are on a spectrum, so you could kind of swing really left on one and really right on the other. Uh, and those, those two camps have, have been given, I guess, labels, uh, cessationism, and continuationism. Cessationism would point to the fact that that the belief is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we see in in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 uh, had a certain period of time when they were functioning. And they would believe people who hold in this camp would say that those gifts actually ceased with the end of the apostles, with the age of the apostles, or when the Bible, the scriptures were canonized, they were put into the canon. And the understanding of the cessationist argument is that when the scriptures were given, the apostles had finished, then uh, we have complete revelation from God. The, 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 in the scriptures, we were given everything that God needed to say, and so there is no reason for giftings to function that would either add to or uh, you know, give any more revelation than God already had. So this is an understanding called cessationism. The key text that uh, cessationists would point to is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Cessationist. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. And the reference there would be that the completeness or the the finalization, the perfection, another translation would say, the word teleos has come to completion or to be finished. They would say that that is when the scriptures were put together. 
that that was the completion, that that was the finishing. And from there, there is no need for the gifts anymore. But if we consider verse 12, we see that it says, as Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, he continues on in verse 12, and he says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so he's saying there that that part of that completion is not just that we would have God's written word, but we would be face to face with Jesus. And we have the scriptures. We have what we need in in this book for uh, instruction, for, for wisdom. We're saying that, that that is that is a given. But even with this, are we finished? Are we perfect? Are we complete? I don't know about you, but I'm not. There, there, there is more that God wants to do through His Word by His Spirit in our lives. Cessationists would also point to points in history where the church was, uh, I guess, the gifts of the Holy Spirit weren't functional or weren't being uh, worked out. And so they would say, look, the church actually existed for so long without these giftings that it's probably evidence then that they weren't needed or they stopped. But what we have to understand is when we look at church history, there was a particular point in church history when Christianity became popularized. From Constantine, we, we, we see that there is a, uh, the, the Christianity becomes the, the popular religion of state. We see that, that this becomes, uh, you know, pretty much people be, start to convert to Christianity, not because they've had a, a, an encounter with God, but because it becomes a good way of selling, it becomes a good way of buying, it becomes a good way of social status. They marry for, they, they get baptized for marriages. We see it all through the Middle Ages that uh, when different tribes in, in, in England would capture, say, Vikings or whatever it may be, they would threaten them to convert to Christianity through baptism. Now, we would understand that that's not necessarily a genuine conversion to Christ. We believe that you must be born again, born by the Spirit, not just to put on a label and say that I'm a Christian. So if we would have studied that period of time in particular, we're probably not going to get the most accurate picture of what church life should be. Another thing that they would point to in uh, the cessationist argument is the, uh, I guess it was in the 18th, 1800s, they were looking at what was taking place in the Catholic Church. And there was a particular groups in the Catholic Church that were, what they were saying was they were faking miracles to make their church look holy. There were you know, people being healed or whatever it was, and they couldn't necessarily prove the validity of that. And so they were like, well, this is dangerous for us when people start to fake that sort of stuff. So there's kind of a leaning away from the potential for that to take place. Now, the other side would be continuationism, which, is this, which says that we see the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue to function just as they did in the New Testament, which was giving a pattern for the way of life for the believer, not just the apostle. So the Holy Spirit's gifts are still functional, still possible, still at work in His church today, just as we see in Scripture. Now, as a church, myself personally, I lean on, I live in this place. I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. 
that they are still functional, that the Holy Spirit is still moving through His church, still acting, still, still speaking, still talking to people, still giving revelation, still healing today, just as we see in the Scriptures. And uh, the, the kind of argument, I guess, that, that, that is, is if, if we, we lean on this side, then we may be uh, rebelling against Scripture or we may be like not taking the Scripture as seriously. But I would suggest that it is totally possible to live a Spirit-empowered life and still be solidly anchored in the Word of God. You have to. And the text that we look at when Paul particularly is speaking to the church about the gifts of the Spirit, he's actually dealing with the, the, the operation of the gifts, not just the existence of the gifts. And so over the, I'm actually going to break this down because there's so much that we could go into with those gifts in particular. And so I'm going to talk this week and then Pastor Lawrence and then the, the next week going to look practically at those gifts. But I want to give a bit of a... a I guess a foundation or a scaffold for us to build from, which I see Paul doing to the church in Corinth in, in particular. So let me give a couple of keys to us today as we consider the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first thing is this, the gifts are from God for our good and His glory. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, and I'm reading from the NIV translation this morning. Verse 1 says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant, another translation would say. You know that there were pagans somehow or other that you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one, who can, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 4, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation, that's where that word comes from, of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given this, through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And these are the work of one and the same Spirit as He distributes them to each one just as He determines them. So in two weeks' time, we're going to actually go through that list and we're going to look particularly, dive into those giftings and what they look like, um, you know, give examples of that. But tonight, today we're just going to scaffold, okay? So we see there in verse 4, He says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. So these gifts are not the idea of the church. It wasn't just that the church was, was growing and they, they were going through life and then they said, hey, we should start doing some supernatural stuff. How about we come up with some ideas and we talk to God about how we could get these done? No, this was God's intention for the church. He puts these gifts into his church. These are his design, his desire, and his intention. 
They're not the church's ideas. These are the gifts that God has chosen to endow his church with. They come from him. And I've heard it said before, if you have issue with them, then take that to him because he is the author of these gifts. It's not that we come up with them, but he gives them to his church. And then it says in, um, where are we? Verse 7, it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Again, the Spirit, the gift or the manifestation, the, the making evidence or the exhibition of His presence and His power is given for the common good. So the gifts are from God and they're for the good of the church. So the gifts, in essence, from God are good for the church, and they should be used in a way that is beneficial for the church. They're actually to, to help us, to grow us, to, to, to help to inspire, to encourage, to exhort, to uplift, to strengthen us in our worship of him. That word manifestation in the Greek, it's only used twice in the, in the New Testament, and both occasions are in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it speaks to... Uh, the exhibit or the demonstration, and it's actually quite closely tied to Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 2, when he says to the church in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, he said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What was happening in that, in that culture was there was an elevation of wisdom. And there would be these traveling speakers that would go from city to city, from port to port, and they would, they would gather crowds and they would speak eloquent words. And they were actually judged, their message was judged by how much wisdom they had and how much eloquence they had with which they spoke. And they would travel like, I don't know, what's Tony Robbins or something. You know, like motivational kind of speakers that go from place to place and they gather crowds. And Paul says, look, when I came to you, I didn't come like that. It wasn't just eloquent words and a nice polished message, but the demonstration of the power of God so that you knew that it wasn't me. So the manifestation gifts are to confirm the word of God to demonstrate the power of the, the, the living word. And so when Paul says that, he says, uh, these things are good for the church and therefore his glory, for God's glory. In verse, 1 Peter, I know I've got a lot of scripture this morning, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through to 11. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober, of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, then let him do so, one as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides them, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So these gifts are not for us to 
make ourselves feel better or to try and look better or more spiritual or more mature or like we are the ones, but they are to give glory to God. And so when we function in the gifts, we are to do it as good stewards of the grace that God has dispensed and dispersed to us, not to try and make ourselves feel better about ourselves or look like we're the super powerful ones. You know that kind of teaching that comes in like you got this, you got the power. The power doesn't come from us. It flows through us. It's his power and it is for his glory, not our own. When we start to to mix that, then those gifts can be used for our own benefit and our own gain. So let's just leave the foundation there that these gifts come from God for our good, for the common good of, of the church, and they are to give him glory. He will receive glory through these giftings. Now, here is the issue that the Corinthian church was faced with. They had these good gifts, these incredible, the flow of the Spirit was happening. People were prophesying. People were speaking in tongues. There were people being healed. There was great faith. There was all these incredible things happening. However, their hearts were corrupt. Their hearts were carnal. Their minds they were immature to a degree. And so, so what, what happened was these good things that God had given them, they turned in on themselves. And they started to use these gifts in a way that was boastful, in a way that was confusing, in a way that was more about them without being about the, the proper use of them. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians actually corrects the usage of the giftings. Now, let's have a look at this because you probably heard me say this before. The remedy for misuse or abuse is not disuse, it is correct use. So the remedy for misuse or abuse is not disuse, it is correct use. We'll see that Paul doesn't say to the church, all right, this is making a mess, stop it. Stop using the gifts, stop flowing in the gifts. He actually says we need to bring some order to the way that these are being ministered. It's not, okay, this is a bit dangerous here, let's throw it all out. It's that, no, we need to work on our hearts as God moves through us with his gifts for the betterment of the church. So the tendency is when we see things that are a little out of whack, we kind of put it off to the side. So I ask, as someone who believes that this is for today, why don't we see it? Do you ever ask that question? Because if, if we're not seeing it, then we're, well, I am a, someone who believes in continuationism, but is practicing cessationism. In that I believe that this is for today, I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit should be moving in the church today, but it's just not happening. And I think a big part of that is we've seen it misused. We've seen the gifts made a mockery of or made a spectacle of that, that, that has been unhealthy for the church. And so we've been like, well, let's just put that over there and we can kind of sit over here with stuff that we understand and stuff that is kind of safe. But if God has given these gifts to the church for the church's good, then I would suggest that they should be in function for the church's good. Otherwise, we're missing out on his blessing through these gifts. So there's nothing wrong with God. 
There's nothing wrong with the gifts. So who's the one that needs work? It's us. It's the church. It's humanity. It's a common problem that humans have. That we tend to get good gifts and then we make it about ourselves. I don't know about you, but we, we tend to do this within the church sometimes. Where we, we, we take a godly principle like giving and then we center it on ourselves. And we say, you give so that you can get. The principle is that you can't outgive God. That is true. And so we want to give and be generous. But if my intention is I'm only giving so that I can get back, then I'm taking a godly principle and I'm making it about me. And I'm talking about me, not you, if that makes you feel any better. We have this tendency to make these things about us and then that gets distorted. And then what God intended and desired for the the flow of the Holy Spirit in, in the church becomes something that it was never intended to be. So it kind of gets pushed to the side because we're afraid or we just don't want to, yeah, we don't want to um, live in that. As I said before, Paul, when he writes to the, the Corinthians, he, he's really correcting a lot of stuff that's happening in them. This, this correspondence, and we see 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there was more correspondence that took place between Paul and the Corinthians, but we see that it is highly corrective in its nature. It's not necessarily instructive. If we were to look at something like Romans, we can see that there's this systematic building of teaching and, and doctrine and theology, whereas Corinthians is really he's addressing a lot of issues that are taking place in the church. We read in 1 Corinthians 12, it said, Now concerning the spiritual gifts or the manifestation, the gifts of the manifestation gifts, that, that phrase, now concerning, takes place another four times or four times throughout Corinthians. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Now concerning, and he's talking about sexual relationships. So there'd been immorality in the church. They had, there's, there's a case in First uh, Corinthians where he talks about someone sleeping with a family member, a connected family member. And now he's saying about this, concerning this in 7. In 7.25, he's talking about virgins. He's talking about now concerning this, potentially a question that the Corinthians had asked, and he's, he's writing back to them. Then in verse tw- uh, chapter 12, he talks about the gifts. And in chapter 16, he talks about the offering. And he's saying, like, this is what's taking place. This is the issue that we're dealing with. Now, let's look at it this way, in all of those cases. And he's bringing correction and he's bringing teaching to them in those certain areas. And that's what's taking place here in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 when he's talking about the gifts. Now, this is really interesting because this church, if you were to look at it from one perspective... They're like swinging from the chandeliers. Like they're, they're, they're having Holy Spirit parties when they get together. There are people flowing in the gifts. There, there, there is people getting healed. There's all this sort of stuff that's taking place. And, and from one perspective, you could look and think, wow, God's at work in that church. I hear people say that. Man, I'm just looking for a church where the Holy Spirit's working. And they're looking for this sort of stuff. 
But let's go to the start of the letter to the Corinthians. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, Brothers and sisters, I couldn't even address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly. There's, there's jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? It's the same group of people. So what does that tell us? That the gifts of the Spirit aren't a sign of maturity in the church. And so we value the gifts of the Spirit. We want to see the gifts move, but we also value the fruit of the Spirit. We value God transforming us by His Spirit so that we become more like Jesus. And then these gifts are operated and functioning from a place of transformed hearts and lives for his glory's sake. And so he's, con- he's confronting this, uh, the way that they're doing things. It's becoming all about them. He tells them to put things in order. So what, what the seeming problem was that during, say, a, a church gathering, there were people just standing up and, and shouting out or praying in tongues. And then another person and another person and it would start and there's no interpretation. And then there were people prophesying and cutting each other off in prophecy. And there were people calling out across the the churches, husbands and wives, calling out, asking questions and speaking to each other in in the middle of the the gathering. And so he's, he's instructing them on this. And he says, no, no, God is not a God of disorder or chaos. He's a God of order. But in all, of his, in all of his teaching, he's saying, he's not saying just stop it. He just says, let's do this in a way that is beneficial for all. So that it's not confusing to the person who comes into the congregation. So that it's not a, a madness and chaos, but there is that, that the gifts are actually functioning in a way that is beneficial. So if someone feels that they've got a message in tongues to speak in another, in another tongue, let them give that message and then pray for someone to interpret that. Or if someone has a word of prophecy, let them share that word of prophecy, two or three, and then let them see if someone else has one, let them sit down and someone else come to share. Now, if we took this as purely literal, then we would want to ask, why doesn't that happen every Sunday when we gather? Why are there not messages in tongues and interpretation and translation, interpretation of them or prophecies that, that are given? Why doesn't it happen today? And if that was literal, then we'd take that as a pattern for church. But he's correcting issues in the church and how it was working. Those principles still apply, but the way that it works out. Does that make sense? There's no point where he says, just don't do it, don't prophesy. But he gives them instruction that when one is prophesying, then the others test the Spirit. Test what is being said. That is for us to do. That is for the church to do. And can I tell you, one of the, as we saw in Ephesians 4, the, the gifts are given to the church for us to mature. And if we are maturing in the knowledge of Jesus, then we're going to pick things that perhaps aren't of the Spirit. 
we're going to have more discernment of what is being said and what is being spoken by the Spirit and what is being spoken by the flesh or what is coming from experience or whatever it might be. Does that make sense? That as we grow in maturity, which is the purpose, then these things can function freely in a way that is beneficial to everyone else. And so we've seen it. Maybe you have. Maybe you've had someone come to you and say, you know what, God told me this. God spoke this to me to tell you. And it was crazy. Or it wasn't true and you knew it wasn't. Or you've heard things said in the name of God and you've seen things done in the name of God. I was talking to Aaron about, you know, old school kind of um, penty celebrations and there'd be, you know, all this stuff happening and, you know, sure, some of it was God, sure, some of it was a bit of us. But different things like with people who have been demonically afflicted and some of the treatment that they experience or different things that, that these gifts that God has given us, these good, beautiful gifts have just been distorted. And, 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 and I understand that because we tend to do that. But we don't, pre- we don't chuck everything else out, do we? I mean, anyone here ever tried to share the gospel and you butchered it? You did it like a real bad job? Here's an idea. Let's not evangelize anymore. Yeah? Well, we're commanded to. Well, we're commanded to seek the gifts, to pursue eagerly the gifts and to let them move. We don't throw that out. What do we do? We teach. We learn. We look at how we do it. And we give space for growth in it. I would actually say with these gifts as well, we need to create space for people to grow in the giftings. To grow in, in how do I hear God's voice? To grow in, in sharing that message or, or sharing a word from God. To grow in these things. And to create a space where we actually uh, allow that. You know, there's a, there is a difference between false prophecy and someone getting a word wrong. There's difference between false teaching and someone teaching something wrong. There's actually a difference between the two. The, the, the difference is the intention. The intent of false prophecy is to turn away from Christ or to, to gain for self. Whereas someone who shares a word and just kind of mumbles it or messes, that's not necessarily false prophet. That's someone trying to step out in the gift and give a gift to someone And maybe just being self-conscious or afraid or never done it before. There is a difference. So we've got to be careful that we don't start labeling people false prophets because they may not have given us something that was accurate. The idea is that we grow together in the church. That we are united. And and, and this comes back to one of the, the key things that Paul says, which is that we are to have love for one another. He says that without love, if I do not have love, then I can speak in all tongues, I can prophesy, I can give everything to, to the poor and still miss it, still gain nothing. So yes, it's great that the gifts are moving. It's great the Holy Spirit is moving. But what is the motivation here? It's got to be based and grounded in love. Love for God and love for people. 
That is our safeguard. That is the place where we are supposed to dwell. And so Paul addresses the practice, but he also addresses the motivation. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he, he says, I've lost my paper. It's in the New Testament, eh? In the 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I, have all, if I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, then I gain nothing. And then he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. And it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It is with the truth. Love bears all things, believes, hopes all things, endures all things. And that is read in, in wedding ceremonies, but written for churches. Written for the community of faith. Not just for a man and a woman, but for us that love would be at work in our hearts toward God and towards one another. So this is where we, we, we got to check ourselves and make sure that we're going to God for ourselves so that he can change our hearts, work in our hearts. Maybe there are some areas where we're doing it for our own credit or we, 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 you know, we're afraid or we've got fear or we've got whatever it might be. But go to God for yourself and allow him to minister to your heart. The last thing that we see in this, this text in particular is that Paul is encouraging this idea, which is spoke about before, of unity in diversity. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different gifts of service, but the same God. There, there are differences in the church, but the same God that we serve. There may be differences in the way we see things. There may be differences in the way that we uh, do things. But we serve the same God. And he wants us to come to a place of unity in the church. He addresses that constantly throughout the word, that he wants us to be united as a family. And so I would suggest that the gifts should not divide us but that we should be in unity in our diversity. i got brothers and sisters that believe different things about the Holy Spirit than I believe. I spent most of my Friday afternoon getting, preparing the, the baptism spa for another church in our area that was having a baptism this morning. And uh, we believe different things on different things. But guess what? We're still our brothers and sisters... And we rejoice in God's work in all different aspects of our family. This is not a salvation issue. But it's an opportunity for us to be unified, to grow. For Jesus to do what he wants to do in his church. Unity in diversity. I want you to just practically have a look around right now. Have a look at some of the people sitting around you. Some of them you've spoken to, some of them you know well, some of them you've never met before. Do you know that they're your brothers and sisters? That's your family. They are part of the same body. 
And part of us being here today is that we would bless and minister to one another. I think it's incredible God's wisdom in this, that he, he, he puts all these different gifts in the, the church and spreads them all out, and then he calls us to come together and exercise them. So this new stage, right? This is a cool stage. So good. But, you know, it wasn't just one person that built it. There was a team of people that came together to build it. One person might have directed, one person might have done certain things, but there's a team that come together to build it. Do you know that the church, when Jesus is building his church, he's using his church to build his church. And it's not just one or two people that are gifted, it's the whole body. And so you are part of that body. To finish our time this morning, we're going to actually um, share in communion together. And this is us recognizing the body of Jesus that was broken for us and the blood that was spilt for us and focusing our hearts and our attention toward him. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to shake it up a little bit for us. And I'm going to, well, everyone's head kind of snapped then. You're just in the, in the mode, pulling the lid off. I want to actually just get us into little groups. Maybe the people you came with, if you're comfortable, if you're not comfortable, to, to go and sit with someone else. But we're going to actually just get into little groups and then share communion together. Break bread together. And then we're just going to pray a little blessing over the person that you're with. I think our kind of modern context divides us more and more. But in order for us to be effective as a church, we want to be united. So if you would, if you're comfortable to right now, just find a couple of people around you that you can share communion with. I'll lead us and we'll pray together. You might want to shake it up. <laughs> shake it up. <clears throat> but let's take the bread. And Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken, beaten, bruised, battered. God, we thank you for uh, the gift that it is to us, that as your body was broken for our sake, that we are now united in your spiritual body. You've brought us together as brothers and sisters, and we, we eat from the same loaf and we drink from the same cup. Lord, we thank you today that you have made us um, part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. It's not our work. The only reason we're in this room today is because of you. So we take this time to remember, as a family, your body. Take the bread and we eat together.
We take the cup, which helps us to remember the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Again, Jesus, we could not do this on our own. We thank you for your sacrifice. The blood that washes us and covers us, cleanses us, cleans us. The, the, the blood that presents us, preserves and protects us. We thank you for your blood. And we remember today that, that we are a new creation because of you and what you have done. And so we drink from this cup in remembrance of you. Now I wonder if we just pray just a little prayer of blessing for the people sitting in your group. If you're comfortable, maybe one or two people in the group could just pray. I'll pray as well. Father, we thank you for um, your body. We thank you for what you're doing in us. And Lord, even as we sit in circles, which might feel awkward, we see the beauty and working through us to bring us together from all different nations and backgrounds, from all different places on this earth to be in this one room today. It's by no coincidence. This is your sovereign doing. And Lord, we desire to step into everything that you have for us as a church. God, we pray that you would do what only you can do in our midst, that you would see our hearts transformed and that you would see this community transformed. And all of it would point to your glory. You would be glorified through what takes place in us as a church. We pray blessing upon blessing over those that we sit with. Lord, we thank you for them, for their difference, for their, you know, the different things they do, the different things that they say. But God, help us to appreciate your body. Help us to have a great love for every one of our brothers and sisters, regardless of what they look like, smell like, speak like. God, we just pray right now your blessing upon each one. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.